bring everyone together for a great time with the Nintendo Switch system. Get the whole family in on the fun with exciting games that everyone can enjoy, like Super Mario Bros. Wonder, Animal Crossing, New Horizons, and more. Nintendo Switch has three different play modes all in one system. Play in TV mode, tabletop mode, or handheld mode when you're on the go. Visit nintendo.com slash us slash switch to learn more. Games rated E for everyone. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card, issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval terms apply. Welcome to Star Talk, your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. Star Talk begins right now. This is Star Talk. I'm your host, Neil deGrasse Tyson. I'm an astrophysicist, and in my day job, I direct the Hayden Planetarium at the American Museum of Natural History. And for today's show, we're featuring an interview with Dan Aykroyd, the one, the only. He came by the museum one day and visited me in my office. I pulled out the microphone and got him, nabbed him for Star Talk. And to get to help me hear these clips, I've got Chuck Liu, Charles Liu. Uh, Star Talk fans know him as my friend and colleague, and he's professor of astrophysics at uh, College of Staten Island, City, yes. City uh, University of New York. Pleasure. So, yeah, thanks. So Dan Aykroyd was in Trading Places, Driving Miss Daisy, Blues Brothers, uh, one of the original cast members of Saturday Night Live. He also is, might be best known for Ghostbusters. Ugh. And you know, he wrote the script for Ghostbusters. Wow, what a wonderful role. And it's not just an accident. He goes deep with ghosts. Did oh, you know this? I did not You know didn't this. know this. Let's find out with my first clip with Dan Aykroyd. At the turn of the century, in the late 1800s... And, You'd have to and, specify which century now. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah, uh, late 1800s and early 1900s. A lot of religions had gone through America. And they had recruited many people, but some people... Mormonism uh, is among them. Yes, yeah, yeah, Mormonism yeah. and Methodism and mm -hmm. the Shakers. You can look at a lot of sects and cults and religion... In fact, they used to call Upper New York State and Pennsylvania the Burnt Over District because the Bible salesmen had been through there and the whole area was burnt over with conventional religion. So there was an embrace of spiritualism that took place there and also in Britain. And you had the founding of the British Society for Psychical Research and then the subsequent psych psychical. psychical research mm -hmm. and then the subsequent founding of the American Society for Psychical Research. William James, of course, was the Harvard psychiatrist mm -hmm. who embraced spiritualism. Because the building at Harvard, the William James That's Hall. right. Yeah. Now, he was very much a believer in the paranormal and the supernormal, if we might say. And the ASPR still operates here on 72nd Street in Manhattan. They have the largest uh, library on paranormal I didn't know uh, circumstances mm -hmm. and events there. And Carlos Osis was its director for many years. And of course, they were tied in with Maimonides' Dream Lab and, and Esther Roll and all of these psychic researchers. So basically, at the turn of the century, you've got this interest in spiritualism. Well... 
you had a couple of sisters called the Fox Sisters. They were in Rochester, New York, and they were two adolescent sisters, and they started to hear rappings and knockings happening in their house. And then a voice began to speak to them, and they didn't know what it was. They were being disturbed. And they did a little digging, literal digging, in the basement of their house in Rochester, and they found a corpse, a body. And they did a little tracing, and they found out that this was a traveling salesman who was brought into this house and was murdered by one of the occupants of the house prior to when they had purchased it. This was an entity that they called Mr. Splitfoot, and he traveled with them, purportedly, and they did psychic readings all around the world with him. Wait, wait, so so the the spirit presumably of this skeleton is what they called Mr. Who's traveled with them. Now, at the time, you had them traveling. You had other mediums traveling. Right there at the turn of the century. All there in newspapers and and disseminated in the media at the time. You had the Campbell brothers and the Bang sisters. They were precipitated painters. What they did was they would sit in front of a hall of four or five hundred people. They would put a canvas in front of them six feet away from their fingers. They would wiggle their fingers and all of a sudden there would be a beautiful photorealistic image that would appear without paint. Not airbrushing not anything like that. So, my great-grandfather, Sam Aykroyd, was the psychic reviewer in his hometown of Kingston, Ontario, Canada. If one of these acts would come through town, and they were acts, it was a presentation. It was an hour and a half show of a medium. Before TV. (laughs) Before TV, and before radio, and before any kind of entertainment, other than show of vaudeville, you would have these psychic acts come through town. So, my great-grandfather was the reviewer. He saw the precipitated painters, he saw mediums, he saw trance mediums, and in fact, had a great interest in this, and was known in the town for this. A gentleman walked up to him in the 1930s and said, my name is Walter Ashurst. I believe I have a gift, Dr. Aykroyd. And Walter Ashurst became the Aykroyd family trance medium for about 10 years, meaning that he would come over to the house and sit, and it was a very presentational thing. People would come in black cars, in black suits. They would come on Sunday. My great-grandfather Sam was the impresario. They would sit down at a seance table. They would form the home circle, hold hands, and Walter Ashurst would go into a trance and would channel uh, spiritual entities. Now, you can believe this or not, at one point he got up on a chair and he was kneeling over and he was all crumpled over and he was talking in this strange Viennese dialect, they figured. and During the know, trance. During the trance, and they didn't know what he was doing until one of the family began to research physicists who were from Austria and Dr. Steinmetz. You've heard of Steinmetz. Uh, Charles Proteus Steinmetz? Yeah. Yeah, he's, a, yeah, yeah. yeah. he's a, like an engineering physicist. That's right. oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, he was a hunchback. Yes, I knew that. Yeah. And he used to work on the I have a book for him. In fact, it's probably on my shelf right behind us. He used to work kneeling on the back of a chair. Now, Walter Ashurst had a grade 12 education, was a locomotive mechanic, probably knew nothing of Steinmetz. And so we believe that that may have been a genuine channeling. Anyway, this was passed on to my grandfather who had seances. My father, as a young boy, witnessed seances. My uncle said he walked into the room once and there was a trumpet flying around the room speaking in voices. And when he uh, came into the room, the trumpet hit the ground. Okay, now... You've got to look at the background of why my great-grandfather was researching all this. At the time, you had Crooks, and you had Arthur Conan Doyle. Uh, the author of, uh, of Sherlock Holmes yeah, series. Yeah, Crooks mm-hmm. was, a, was a, a physicist at the time. These were people who were seriously interested in spiritualism, and my great-grandfather was a part of this movement. So, to get to Ghostbusters, when I was a kid, instead of at the summer cottage reading National Geographics and old life magazines, I was reading the journals of the American Society for Psychical Research. And I picked up a journal one day, and it talked about quantum physics and parapsychology, and I thought, wow, wouldn't it be great to use the science of parapsychological interest, real scientific inquiry, 
and marry it with the concept of the gold ghost comedies of the 30s, the Bowery Boys, Bob Hope, and that's where Ghostbusters came from, from my family's interest and just the entertainment industry always having an interest in ghosts. But Howard Carrington, Oliver Crooks, Arthur Conan Doyle, William James, these were scientific inquirists at the Mm -hmm. time, but a serious interest in, you know, what is the particulate matter that makes up a ghost? I mean... What was that stewardess seeing the ghost of Flight 401 when they had a crash of an, a Lockheed uh, 1011 in a swamp in Florida? The crash killed 400 people. They took the wreck. They put it into a warehouse. And then they had an L-1011 that had an elevator fail. So they took the elevator from the wreck and they put it in this new plane. About a week after that, stewardesses, pilots were starting to see the apparition of the flight engineer from the wreck who died. His name was Don Repo. He had red hair. They saw the stripes. They saw the uniform. They saw him. Eastern Airlines had to put out a blanket directive. Don't talk about this. We don't want people to think there are ghosts flying on our airlines. I want to know physically, and I want scientists to begin to inquire. What is the particulate matter? What's going on molecularly? What's acting here? Is it oxygen, nitrogen? What's in the air that can produce an apparition where people can actually manifest in their vision the apparition of someone who's dead? That's where I think spiritualism should go, right into the scientific. And so we've got to entice serious scientific inquirists to look into this. And so far, no one's interested, except me. <laughs> when Star Talk Radio returns, I'll have more of my interview with Dan Aykroyd. back star talk radio i'm here with my friend and colleague charles Lou. hey Neil. thanks for being on star oh you. it is my honor and my pleasure <laughs> you have only the slightest inkling how much i enjoy coming here well thank you thank you and we're featuring my interview with dan Aykroyd from yeah. a visit that he gave at my office and we hit on all the stuff that interested him tremendous it, amount it, to chew on and in this show we're talking about his you know he dabbled in the paranormal mm-hmm. and that's kind of intriguing you know as an artist I, I don't care where they get their inspiration from i mean as a scientist i can say don't do that but if that prompted him to write ghostbusters sure which was a fun romp who am i to stop whatever he wants right. to do it now, now remember as he wrote ghostbusters he wrote himself in as the nerdy scientist dr raymond stance right but also the paranormal elements of that movie were almost caricatures yes they were comical they were not they are so serious and here's the funny movie the whole thing was a was a romp that's right. so it's a fascinating take on it and he has a whole family history in there. How could he not write a movie about ghosts? That's exactly I mean, what he explained. Right, right. We've got a whole clip here. Just have him talk more about ghosts. Sure. And fi- find out. Because he wants science to investigate ghosts. He's not saying they're real no matter what you say. He's saying, look, science has tools and methods, so go for it. Yeah, good for him for doing that. Yeah, and science ought to be able to investigate anything, right? So let's see what else he tells us about ghosts. Another movie that dealt with Ghost was Ghost. Yeah. Right? And that one... Survival it, of the Consciousness it, after that. It, it certainly had comedic moments of, with Whoopi Goldberg mm-hmm. getting, mm-hmm. I think, a well-deserved Academy Award. But after that movie, the percentage of people who believed in Ghost went up. Mm-hmm. Because okay. that was it was so compelling right, to people, right, right. and one wouldn't necessarily expect that after Ghostbusters or the Stay Puffed. No, 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 no. <laughs> that no. Be a belief. Yes, that's right. Although, but, yeah. but what that tells me is that, in spite of your strong feelings about this, you're not on some crusade to get everyone 
to think this way. Oh, right? by no means. I think that's going to happen anyway. Mm -hmm. Anybody who has had a personal experience with the survival of consciousness after death or have seen an apparition or felt a cold spell in a room or seen something at the, at the uh, at, you know, get on their bed. Uh, you know, I have a friend, uh, he's a very well-known comedian. Uh, he dated a girl. Her father died. He went to the funeral. And the father came back and basically said, don't date my daughter. And his brother was in bed next to him, and they both were about to go to sleep, and both of them saw this apparition. Now, you cannot take away that from this guy. He knows that happened. So, mm -hmm. It's up real. To the, it's it, as real as anything. It's as real as anything yeah. to him, whatever it was. Was some electrochemical... So, here's the thing. Uh, you know. Here's the thing. I'm of two minds here. So the one mind is, you can start off by asserting that ghosts are real, and then say, what scientific experiment would you bring to bear on this? Mm -hmm. I don't have a problem with that. However, there are cases where people could have done extraordinary experiments and they didn't. For example, a second cousin of mine, her father died, okay? Open casket in the room, she goes into the room, she's alone with him sitting as close mm -hmm. as I am to you mm -hmm. right now. She then tells me, and she's otherwise of complete rational mind, she's a real estate, agent she's mm -hmm. uh, majored in accounting she tells me she had a conversation with him while he was in the casket and I said were the words coming out of nothing no he sat up and spoke to her mm -hmm. I'm now curious I said well what did he say what'd you talk about well, I asked how are you are you fine and he said don't worry I'm fine I'm in a better place and that was kind of the extent of the conversation mm -hmm. and I grabbed her and I said if you're talking to a dead person Ask some good questions mm -hmm. like, where are you? Mm -hmm. Are you wearing clothes? Mm -hmm. Is it hot? Is it cold? Who else is there? What are the sights like? Are there clouds? Get some information. I don't see anybody doing that. So if I were to put a, suggestions out there, it would be if you have an encounter with a ghost, get some real data, please. <laughs> well, Henry Durant Watson in, in an ancient text called The Ninth Plane directly uh, approaches that. And through mediums, he asks those questions. Where are you? Do you see us? Can you come back to us? I'm not sure whether the body sat up or not. I'm more interested in experiences where there are these ethereal sort of residual apparitions that kind of repeat on a loop where you can come on a Wednesday afternoon at 3 p.m. and see the same spirit again and again, mm -hmm. as I've heard from some uh, real estate contact with properties in, in L.A., for instance. Properties they probably can't sell. <laughs> in fact, you know that when we sold our house in Los Angeles, there was a disclosure form that said we had to disclose any unusual activity in the house. We had to actually say that early on when we moved in, there was activity that could not be explained rationally or physically. That's it, L.A. Yeah, yeah, that, that's true, but... <laughs> But, you know, again, it comes down to the individual, what they're going to see, what they're going to experience, what they take away from the experience, and we can explain it away rationally that she was dreaming. So have you ever seen an apparition? No. Okay. All right. So we both know that the human mind can do extraordinary mm -hmm. things in itself. Mm -hmm. Why isn't it easier for you to just explain it all the way as stuff that's going on in somebody's head? Well, because I, take, the simplest I go back to the Ghost of Flight 401, which uh, has had several books written on it, uh -huh. and you had multiple witnesses there. Mm -hmm. By the way, when they took the elevator out of the new plane and put it back in the Why rack, would they do that? But that's a separate question. Uh, well, they, yeah, they were looking for spare parts. The apparitions stopped. You, you had empirical, you had pilots, mm -hmm. and you had stewardesses. You had people of the real world seeing an apparition mm -hmm. of someone that they knew 
and you had a corporate reaction to it that was quite extreme. Mm-hmm. Frank Borman was really upset about Frank this. Borman, a, a Apollo astronaut. Yeah, yes, he uh-huh. was really upset about ghosts. Who became being head of plane. Who became head of Eastern? That's yes. right, and yes. he, and it was under his administration that the uh, the, the psychologists were telling people maybe you saw something, but don't talk about yeah. it. That to me is one of the greatest stories ever. <laughs> you know, uh, whether it's true or not. Again, there were multiple witnesses, and I like it because it's associated with the world of aviation, which has an, an, an empirical base because you got to know what you're doing when you're up there. Yeah, the, the plane has machines. to fly. Yeah, yeah the that's laws right. Of physics matter. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I want you to promise me here and now on Star Talk Radio that. Wherever you are in the world, if you see a ghost, you're going to call me, and I'm going to come and try to find it with you. I would love to find out how one could see a ghost. What's happening there? You call me. You guys say, I want you to commit that right now on the air. Well, they don't hang out. That's the problem. (laughs) But there are loop ghosts, and there are residual ghosts that we hear about all the time. The loop ghost. A loop ghost. That's just You call me for a loop ghost. Yeah. All right. I'd love to freeze it. I think High Freon (laughs) might do it. Loop ghost. So he really wants to be the Ghostbuster on the <laughs> on the thing. You know, he was raised in the Catholic Church and uh, actually intended to become a priest until the age of seventeen. That's what wow. our records show. And he now considers himself a spiritualist. Okay. And well, by the way, there are many people. That's one of the largest growing communities sure. in the country are people who don't assign with a religion. Sorry, sorry, uh, spiritual. Right. Don't assign with a, align with a religion, but still feel like something's out there. Right. But they don't want anybody telling them what's out there. Yes. I yeah, know. yeah. Yeah. And this concept of spiritualism, I think, is very interesting that he brought up. The Ghost of Flight 401, which is indeed a a famous story. But you know as well as I do, Neil, that current psychological research shows the reality of group hallucinations. They don't even have to happen at the same time. All you need is a little bit of suggestion here or there. Unusual circumstances or usual, they can happen all the time. So I think you brought up a very good point that the simplest explanation is much easier than what he's trying to find. But he's going about it the right way. He admitted that he had never seen one himself, which is a great thing and very, very important for people to be honest about that. So more power to him for trying to find out some scientific aspect of this stuff. And I think we might be biased by courtroom dramas where the lawyer stands up and says, I need a witness. Yes. And then if you have two witnesses, that seals the case. Right. Whereas the psychologists know that groupthink can mess up two witnesses just as well as the brain can mess up one witness. That's right. It is very easy for all of a sudden people who supposedly don't have uh, the same mind to see the same thing that's actually not there. It's actually very possible. Right, right. It's a well-studied phenomenon is what you're saying. Yes. And so so it takes that person to have written Ghostbusters. It's one of the most popular comedies ever written. And... (laughs) I loved it. I thought it was great. Well, so here, I got to read a quote from it. Don't cross the streams. It would be bad. Try to imagine all life as you know it stopping instantaneously and every molecule in your body exploding at the speed of yes, light. Yes, the speed of light. <laughs> well, as you know, that Neil, was That was a character played by Howard Ramis, Egon. of course. Egon. It was e- awesome. Egon Spengler. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as you know, there is a way where every molecule Why did you know his name was Egon? Uh, who knows that? Ghostbusters <laughs> was a very important part of my youth, trust okay. me. <laughs> but uh, as you know, you can reach the speed of light with every molecule in your body if you land on the event horizon of a black hole. I, I didn't know that. Well, but why don't I just fall through the event horizon of a black hole? Gets complicated from that point. Oh, no, it's, it's no answer. <laughs> All right. 
<laughs> Sorry. When we come back to Star Talk Radio, Charles Liu is going to tell me why you explode at the speed of light at the edge of a black hole. It's that the escape velocity at the black hole's event horizon is the speed of light. So if you fall naturally down onto it, when you reach the event horizon, you are traveling at the speed of light. All of your molecules, if you are still a body, are moving at the speed of light. And so you're not exploding or anything. You just are. The oh, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. Right? Fine. We'll be right back. <laughs> Whether you're a family vacation traveler, business tripper, or long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. And that's good, because there are a lot of me's. Choice Hotels has over 7,400 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. Get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. Cambria Hotels feature locally inspired hotel bars with specialty cocktails and downtown locations in the center of it all. Hey, that's me. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces to get the most of your business travel and on-site restaurants. That's me, too. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me, too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any of you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. Star Talk Radio. We're back. Neil deGrasse Tyson. Uh, I tweet at Neil Tyson, and Star Talk, the staff here, tweets at Star Talk Radio. And Charles Liu, you tweet? Yes, at Chuck Liu. Nice, nice. And we're talking, we're, we're, we've got clips from my interview with Dan Aykroyd, who visited me at the Hayden Planetarium. Very cool. Excellent. And he's a science buff. He's a blues buff. He's a ghost buff. He's a soul <laughs> man. And he's a soul man. And he can't help but be a ghost buff because his whole family lineage is about ghosts. That he was had, really interesting. Yeah. Earlier, we heard we, we heard that. And- it's it's not only that. Oh, there's some there's some trivia about, during the filming of Ghostbusters. Uh-huh. You know, Isaac Asimov, who's a was a friend of the museum at the yes. time, and we have a whole series, a whole uh, lecture series in his honor called the Isaac Asimov panel debate. And my youngest son is named Isaac in honor of Isaac Asimov. Yeah, not Isaac Newton. No, not Newton. <laughs> 
Okay. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Isaac Asimov, I think one of his claims to fame was, I, I, I was told this, and that it was completely believable, even, it was incredible and believable at the same time, that even though those are technically opposite words, <laughs> that uh, he wrote so many books that he had enough books to have at least one in every category of the Dewey Decimal System. Wow. Remarkable. Yeah, yeah, just a, quite the polymath. Well, anyhow, he lived on the block, near the block, where they filmed the final scenes of Ghostbusters. Oh, wow. And he kept complaining that they interrupted his pathway back home. Oh. So that was, uh, we disrupted the Well, how did Dan feel about that? Well, there's probably a book that was not written because of these delays. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Well, let's find out what, what just, uh, Dan, he just, he's, he's a deep thinker about everything, and he likes being on the fringe, because I think that excites him. Mm -hmm. uh, let's see what he talks about uh, aliens. Remember, he's, uh, they, they had some movies yes, on, on this did. topic. Let's, let's see what he t where he takes us. So when I paired up Ghostbusters and the movie Ghost, mm -hmm. right, one was a serious attempt at this topic and the other was completely mm -hmm. comedic. Yep. Another pairing that I found in my search through the movies is Coneheads, of course, are visiting aliens and mm -hmm. you had Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Mm -hmm. And that was portrayed as a real governmental reaction to alien. Well, Jacques Vallée uh, and uh, Alan Hynek were both yeah, physicists. Yeah, yeah. He was an astrophysicist, J. Alan Hynek. He was yeah. and he was hired by the Air Force. Why was he hired by the Air Force? He was hired by the Air Force because there was a lot of stuff going on in the skies that people could not explain. And a lot of stuff that the Air Force was very, very interested in from a defensive point of view on this planet. You know, the alternative view of that is that it was better to tell everyone they were flying saucers so that they wouldn't get involved in our spying on Russian technologies during the Cold War. Right, right. Well, perhaps. That may have been part of the agenda. Ultimately, I think Heineck concluded that 80% of the sightings or so were explainable, and then 20% were really a little mysterious. unknowns, a little mysterious. So you might be the spiritual medium counterpart to J. Allen Heineck because he died having never seen an unexplained UFO, a UFO yeah. something he could not explain. Yeah. yeah. Yet he was intensely interested in investigating mm -hmm. it. Yeah. I don't expect that I'll see a ghost uh, in my time, but I know people who've sat down with me and told me stories that I believe are true, and they go beyond just galvanic or electrochemical thing that's happening in the brain. They really have seen something that cannot be explained in the physical, rational world. Well, that means you have really good confidence in the eyewitness testimony of your friends. I do. <laughs> I, I do because of who that they are. That makes you an awesome friend. Uh, I got friends. They tell me stuff. I say, you know, go get a good night's sleep and come back tomorrow. Well, anecdotal evidence, of course, is not really evidence. But it does have some weight if you can accept the conviction of witnesses and see for a moment what they saw and empathize with them. You come out of it. Certainly not concluding that they saw something for sure, but you'd come out of it also not concluding that they didn't. The jury's uh, still out. Of course, the jury's yeah. still out until you have a, a mass apparition of some kind. I mean, and I'm or, still or waiting for them to yeah. drag an alien out of the spacecraft and bring it into Times Square. You may not have to wait long. Oh. <laughs> So, Charles, you've never seen an alien, I guess, or, or, no. or a ghost, have you? I mean, No, I have not. Well, have you seen something that you thought someone else might have interpreted as a ghost? Oh, sure. Uh, every once in a while, something sneaks around the corner of your consciousness, or it's in the dark, and you suddenly see maybe something going by your eye, and you're wondering, whoa, what was that? Now, I, of course, being a skeptic and a scientist, know that there are probably 10,000 much more easily justifiable explanations for what I just experienced than a ghost. So I do not ascribe it 
as ghostiness. So you don't rule it out entirely. You just put it really low down on the list. That's the nature of science, right? What, well, what I like doing, confirmed. people talk about windows opening or doors closing. And anytime I'm in a house and I see that, uh, by the way, that happens much less in an apartment. I just don't <laughs> get this. It just doesn't. The apartment doesn't have as many sides open to drafts, right? It just mm -hmm. doesn't really work that way. True. As, you, as it would in a house. We have an attic, a basement, and windows on every side, and doors, and a, and a, and a, and a shutter door, and shutters. That bangs once yeah. in a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Everything. Uh -huh. And, and uh -huh. squeaky. Everything squeaks. So apartment people just have less experience with <laughs> house ghosts, I think. But in any event, when I'm in a house and I see a shutter move, I just look at sort of the air pressure that's going on. Oh, there was a gust of wind out this side, and the moving air is lower pressure than static air, so that'll open the shutter. And if you know a little air pressure, you might be able to get through this. I'm totally with you on that one, Neil. Okay. <laughs> when we come back, more of my interview with Dan Aykroyd on Star Talk Radio. back Star Talk Radio, featuring my interview with Dan Aykroyd. The guy's uh, interested in so much stuff, and I've got Charles Liu here to help me just interpret and understand. And, really neat stuff and, he's talking about. And comment, yeah. And I, I like Charles because he's like a man about everything. And, <laughs> and if, I, if I'm incomplete, he completes me. <laughs> Thanks for being on, Charles. Oh, my pleasure. Uh, so uh, with my next clip with, with Dan Aykroyd recorded in my office at the Hayden Planetarium here in New York City. Uh, he talks about his sort of alien interests. Oh. Now, whatever are his actual interests, they manifest in his comedic writings and movies. My so, stepmother uh, is an alien. Yeah, for example, uh -huh. Coneheads. Coneheads. Not the least Beldar. of those. What a dude. Right, right. And so let's find, let's find out where he goes with this. Check it out. So, of course, the Coneheads were aliens. And I'll let you know, to this day, my sister and I refer to our parents as our parental unit. Ah, uh, yes. I <laughs> You will be spared when my species overtakes your miserable planet. You will be placed on the protected rolls. We, we still refer to them, as, and yeah. we, we even abbreviated. So, what are the units doing this weekend? No, yeah. they're on vacation. They're well, just... that was Tom Davis and I. We loved Day the Earth Stood Still and Earth versus the Flying Saucers and all of the great the classic science fiction 50s. movies of the time. You know, so we took that and, and developed that in, into the Coneheads. And why they had tall heads, I don't know. We just wanted to fill that three or four inches on the little TV screen that wasn't filled with heads. And it so, made for good ring toss. Yes. Yeah. It, so, you were in, my stepmother's an alien. Is that related, or we just won the acting job for that? That was just, you know, Richard Ben. Benjamin Kim Basinger, that was a package that was put together in Hollywood. It was a nice little movie. They didn't sell it correctly. Of course, anytime there's a flop in an actor's career, he always says they didn't sell it correctly. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But uh, I really... We say that in the book world, too, we say that. Yeah. The publisher didn't market no, it. No, Otherwise, that, of course, yeah, would have been That's right. It was a masterpiece. But that was really about the search for extraterrestrial life that's going on. It was about searching the skies for radio signals from other planets. And now SETI is an ongoing program. I, I guess it's kind of mothballed now, but... I suppose it's the scientific community's most uh, legitimate recognition of alien life out there, and if that's the way we get to 
an acceptance of it, that's fine with me. Yeah, and the premise was awesome that, you know, the experiments got uh, removed the gravity on their planet and then yeah. they're coming to find out what's going on. Right, you know? well, uh, yeah, with the things we've been doing on this planet in the last several hundred years, they'd be interested <laughs> to what we're doing to the planet, the atmosphere, and the neighborhood. The whole thing. Well, actually, they'll say these people are not intelligent. They're stupid. No. Let's pass them by. Uh, it, yeah. <laughs> we can't be that interesting to anyone who has the power to fly through space to reach us. That's, oh, my, that's my outlook on it. Well, on the other hand, is not this planet one of the most beautiful, beautiful orbs in the multi-sphere, in the multiverse? Well, I think it's beautiful because it kind of has to be beautiful because we evolved in this environment. It has to be beautiful. If it wasn't, we would hate it, yeah, right? Or, so, you, or we would have devolved down to where to we some, would just, yeah, right. But I think this planet would be of great interest to an alien species, just because you know they don't have the Rockies, they don't <laughs> have they don't have it, they don't have New York City, they don't have the great trenches of the oceans, they but don't, they don't be... have John Lennon, they don't have Keith Richards and Satisfaction, uh, right there, you know, just if they came and and just monitored, you know, the sound waves and heard that song, they'd want to hang around just that, to hear Satisfaction by Keith Richards. That's a little huge humanistically hubristic because maybe there is something yet to be invented by an alien species that is beyond our capacity now to judge its beauty. For example, a hundred million years ago, flowers were not yet invented in the tree of life. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. A world without flowers, mm -hmm. a world without fruit. If you were alive back then, could you have imagined a flower? I don't think so. No, no. No, you could not have. Could you imagine fruit? No, no. So today, we can look at a bouquet of flowers and admire them and say, oh, what a beautiful world this is. But what other thing has yet to evolve that would make flowers look like something that you would just dispose of in the street? Well, maybe some, you know, crystalline magma-like structure that you can hold in your hands and mold and that will levitate and... And it uh, glows. And glows. <laughs> Good. Let's, Let let's us work, we'll work on let's that. Let's work <laughs> on that, yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> that was a fun little romp there yeah. that I had with him. Well, he did have a good point that maybe art made by humans are unique in the universe because we humans are only here and art is highly subjective and highly temporal and as far as we know no other species on earth creates art as far as we know yeah, i that's think right. so mm -hmm. nothing we would call art right and i've seen some human art that no other species would call <laughs> art either i'm pretty sure <laughs> I, i'm happy what to, passes for art right i'm happy to say that uh the seti Search for extraterrestrial intelligence is not completely mothballed. Individu yeah, you have an update, a quick update yeah, on that? Individual projects are mothballed temporarily, but the SETI Institute itself, a scientific research institute, still alive and well. In California. In California. Yeah, and, Northern California. Yeah. So good stuff is still happening. Okay. We still have people among us thinking about the problem. Yes, indeed. When we come back to Star Talk Radio, more of my interview with Dan Aykroyd. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In a fast-paced world, 
Every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. We're back to Star Talk Radio. Charles. Yes. Thanks for being with me. My pleasure. Thank you, Neil, for having me. Yeah. And so it's interesting. We both have common expertise in astrophysics. Yes. And complementary expertise because we don't always follow the same pop culture things. True. So when we come together, we make a huge Venn diagram of what we can talk about. <laughs> That's why I bring you on the While show. While we ingest consumables. <laughs> so uh, in this, we've been uh, featuring my interview with Dan Aykroyd. Yes. And uh, one of my, I love me some Blues Brothers movie. Oh. And uh. I got to talk about a particular part of the Blues Brothers movie that you wouldn't otherwise know about if you just saw the the cinematic release. Let's find out what that is. Now, in the Blues Brothers, why was it that I believed the car could do all of that? I mean, it's at risk of saying this movie is over the top. I can't yeah. go there. But somehow, yeah, you had me because it what was, was what was about that car? Well, it had divine power. Once we undertook the mission from God, we had the power of the Godhead behind us. We had divine power behind us. We had the power of belief. We had the power of a universal sense of of the world and, and, and a and shared purpose and yeah, uh, and a good doing. Yes, yes that's right. Yeah, so yeah. I think the car took on you know divine attributes. Mm -hmm. it, it became a holy relic at that point. No, I saw in the DVD extras, there's a scene where you park the car in a, at a power plant. Yeah. What, what is going on there? Well, I felt that in order to imbue the car with these special powers that we needed some kind of a scientific or physical uh, basis for it. So they so, weren't all spiritual powers. Uh, right? In my mind. In the end, they were spiritual. But uh, yes, that was a scene where we parked near the generator for the electric train in Chicago. And that was supposed to give the car an extra power. And, because uh, they show the, the lights sort of going, yeah, ooh, yeah. Ooh, so ooh. this car had a special quality. <laughs> but also, of course, Elwood is a great mechanic. And I don't know if you've ever seen some Hell Driver shows, but the things that they put those cars through really in the physical world are quite fantastic. They make them do flips. Mm -hmm. They make them do turns and full corkscrews and all that. So it's just a little extra. If you beef up the suspension, a little mm -hmm. extra in the power. And, uh, of course, that motor was punched out. Elwood's a great mechanic. You can mm -hmm. see where it might have been able to do some of those cop things. Cop shock, cop engine, cop, cop, cop everything. Cop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love me some Blues Brothers. Wow. So an interesting, uh, Charles, over the break, you were talking about the distinction between something that is for all the world magic to you yeah. and something to a higher civilization is just some bit of technology That's they've right. got going for That's it. That's right. Arthur C. Clarke had one, yeah, of, one of his laws. laws. Yeah. What was it called? Any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. That's right. If you think about the olden days, even in Benjamin Franklin's time, lightning was still considered divine intervention. And it wasn't until he did those experiments with kites and other kinds of uh, bell jars and things like that that we realized that it was just a 
very common manifestation of static electricity. But what's interesting is that Ben Franklin, as you know, he invented the lightning rod. That's right. And then offered it to anybody who, especially, what are the biggest structures in every town? Mm-hmm. What, what are they? The steeples. The, the, the church steeples, mm-hmm. right? And so now churches were not being destroyed by lightning that might have otherwise been. That's right. And he was accused of blasphemy by... In, by interfering with the will of God. I was not aware of that. Yes, yes. And what's odd is that uh, some parishioners of whatever was the denomination would turn to Ben and say, you are preventing our God from doing what he wants. <laughs> <laughs> they well, who are they worshiping? Yeah. If that's, that's how they yeah, feel maybe about Zeus, it. Maybe Zeus, right? <laughs> but it is true. And that's. I think that that extra scene described here would have been the, the, really was, interesting. The, the, the deleted scene. Yeah. yeah. Would have been really interesting to have put in the movie, and then people could do that same kind of transfer for themselves. We all, as you know, Neil, fill our sense of the unknown with either the desire to find out or the desire to just be satisfied with what somebody else has told us or what we believe in some sort of faith idea. And I guess under these circumstances, when you bridge the two, you create some really interesting results. And actually, you make a point. If you bridge them, it makes for good storytelling. Right. Actually, Stephen King has uh, has rich storytelling where he blends real live mm-hmm. phenomena with spiritual forces. That's right. I mean, look at what happened in Carrie. <laughs> you, you know, no one, no one went to Carrie and said, oh, that would have never happened. It's like, yeah, this is happening. Well, yeah. And it is as real as all get out. And as far as real and fake are concerned, right now there's a viral video company that's actually using science fiction movie technology to create scenes like techno- tech telekinetic work that Carrie is doing and like blasting people against walls and throwing books off shelves and freaking out the audiences. What do you mean they're really doing? What are you saying? Oh, we ran out of time. (laughs) 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 What do you mean? We're doing it for movies. Yes. Okay. In in order to to promote in real life, in order to promote, uh, the next iteration of Carrie. This viral, oh, right, because the movie's coming out again. That's right. Yes. The viral video company is creating in coffee shops fake movie magic versions of Carrie, like where a lady suddenly develops telekinetic powers and starts blowing people away. And the people who aren't in on the joke are just freaked out in the audience uh, inside these coffee shops. So this is still true. Oh, so he's creating real-life things that to an uninitiated person look like actual magic is yes. happening, spiritual magic. Right. And so how do we distinguish that between magic? You can't if you don't know. That's right. That's Arthur C. Clarke's point exactly. You got it. I think we're out of time. Oh, Charles. Already? You've been listening to Star Talk Radio featuring my interview with Dan Aykroyd and have, with Charles Liu helping me out here, my friend and colleague. This is Star Talk Radio. Well, you can find us on the web, startalkradio.net. And we tweet Star Talk Radio. Of course, it would be that. Mm-hmm. And uh, where else are we? Find us in on, on uh, we have a new YouTube channel. Oh. You can get clips of our Q&As. And so we're all over the place. Don't miss us. Around. <laughs> As always, I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson signing off, bidding you to keep looking up. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In a fast-paced world... 
Every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.